This morning, I want to begin in um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the, the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Last week I referred to this. We were talking about the heart, and I even mentioned the statement at one point, the heart is the heart of the matter. I want to continue on this this subject this morning is a time of continuing self-examination. I remember when I was a kid growing up in the Catholic Church, there was four weeks before Easter from Ash Wednesday to Easter, and it was a, it was specially put aside as a time of fasting and a time of uh, examining yourself and examining your conscience, all that stuff. And we don't follow, of course, those traditions. But I think it's important to, you know, during all times of the years, year, to examine ourselves and have times of, you know, to really reflect on the motives to examine our hearts and our motives and our actions. And as we continue on this theme from last week, we hear the words that God gives to Israel and Jesus and Jesus repeated these words when he asked, was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what he pointed to from Deuteronomy. That you shall love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. He said the second one is like it. That you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the man that Jesus said that to said that that was he agreed with what Jesus said. That's good. He agreed with Jesus. He says because he says to love God with all your heart and soul is he says is more than all the commandments. It sums up all the commandments. And Jesus said to him, "You're not far from the kingdom of God." And the next thing it says here is that. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You know, it's one thing to have the Word of God in your mind and in your head. A lot of head knowledge. A lot of Bible verses. I know some groups really emphasize memorization of the Scriptures. And, I, and while I'm not saying speaking against that, there's something deeper than memorization. It's to take it into the heart. It's to have understanding have God give you understanding these things and to have them in your heart. And he talks about talking about it to your children. He's writing it on your doorposts. 
It's just this is the price. This is the 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 focus of our life. This is what God says, the Word of God, to have it in our hearts. Not just head knowledge. Oh, I know what the Bible says there and over here. That's good, but it's got to go a little. It's got to go much deeper than that. They say the eighteen inches from the head down to the heart. And so, with that in mind, we think of what it says in the book of Psalms, let the words of my my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O God. And we think about the meditations of our heart. We say, well, what's that mean, meditation? It means the things that we're thinking on or pondering about, the things that we're wrestling about in the inside of us. He said, may it be acceptable to you. This is David's prayer to God. From the book of Proverbs, or Psalms, I don't remember which one it is, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. We think with our mind, but we also think in our hearts, are connected. The ponderings of our heart are connected. And so from there, we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Just a couple verses. Often quoted. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I'll be found by you. With all our heart. I think of the words of Jesus when he gives the parables, the two parables of a, of a merchant seeking uh, precious pearls and he finds a, a pearl that is priceless and he goes and sells everything he has to buy that pearl priceless and the other parable where Jesus says right after that about the man who finds a treasure in a field and he sells everything that he has to buy that treasure to buy that field that has that treasure in it and we talk about this often, about selling all, the giving all, to be all in following the Lord. But what is Jesus talking about? We think about, oh, we give up all of our sinful past, we give up these vices, and we give up our greediness, and we give up all these bad habits and attitudes, everything. It's more than giving up certain things. It's about giving our hearts to Him. In Christendom, often it's talking about giving Jesus your heart. You know, surrendering all to Jesus. We we talked about, we sang this morning about, I surrender all. Surrender all what? Surrendering all, all my, you know, my will for God. Yeah, it's, it's deeper and deeper and deeper until you find what's at the bottom of all this. When you just keep on digging and digging and digging. Surrendering our hearts to Him. 
surrendering our our all to him, our life to him. The Bible says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. <clears throat> At the very bottom of all of this is our hearts. When we go through all the layers of the onion and get to the bottom of why we're doing everything and the, the meditations of and everything else, you just go, draw down and you go deep inside. When Jesus said, if any man is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being, some versions translate it, others translate it, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. There are three words in the, in the scriptures that are interchangeable and translated, depending on the translation, are translated the heart, the spirit, and the inner man. They're all three are referring to one and the same thing. And they hold, all help to, if you read all the scriptures that include all those things, you'll see that the gospel talk, the Bible talks about it a lot, both the Old and New Testament. If you look up the word heart in the New King James Version, in your concordance, there's 979 references to the word heart. And there's the innermost being. And then there's the spirit of man. Out of, out of a man's spirit, out of a man's heart, out of his innermost being. The innermost being, the deepest part inside of us. The person who lives inside this body, this house. The Apostle Peter referred to our body as a tent. Or house referred to the New Testament also. Apostle Paul referred to it as a house. It's a place we live in. That person inside of us is that person that God is talking about and pointing his finger at, out of our innermost being, out of our spirit, shall flow rivers of living water. It talks here about seeking God with all of our heart. How do we do that? Well, that's something, that's our, each of us have that journey to do for ourselves. Yeah, we can read the scriptures, but each of us has to seek that personal relationship with God where we're honest with Him. We pour out our heart before Him, as the book of Psalms says. We read... In the book of 1 Samuel, how it says Hannah just, she came before the Lord and she just emptied herself. And she cried out to God and she just poured out her heart before Him. Seeking God with all of our heart. Finding out God's will for our life. Finding out, finding His way in our direction, in His direction for our life. The opposite of that is all the self-will and self-indulgence and everything else that we can do in life. All the, you know, the, the walking in self. And a lot of it is very insidious, very, very subtle. And sometimes we don't want to deal with those subtleties of life. Because they're uncomfortable. This kind of study, kind of, and this kind of look into the scriptures can make us, some of these words of God, 
the Father and of Jesus, His Son, converting, they can make us very uncomfortable when, when, we, when we begin to look at our life. Sometimes we don't want to deal with it, but this is what God is saying. From the book of Hebrews, we read in chapter 4 that it says that the Word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and dividing to the soul and spirit. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It goes right down into our heart. And sometimes we try to shield ourselves from some of those things that make us feel a little off. They're out of our comfort zone and don't make us feel right and expose us. And we don't want to be exposed. It makes us feel naked in our inner man, so to speak. It says, all things are open and naked to him with which we have to do. Nothing is hidden from him. And sometimes some of the things he exposes we don't like. But this is part of our walk with God that we have to face. Those things that we don't want to face. <clears throat> so from there we go to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 3 says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for those are, theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. Verse 4, Blessed are those who are meek. Verse 5, bless, Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. These are all things that, and Jesus says it right out, the purity of heart. <clears throat> this is not a holier-than-thou speech. This is Jesus telling us about the kingdom of God. And what he, the work he wants to do in us. Last week we talked about, it is God who is at work in us. To change us. From corruption of heart to purity of heart. <clears throat> Jesus came to save us from ourselves. That's right, from our own corruption. From our own <clears throat> wickedness of heart. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Above all things, who can know it? That's what we need deliverance from. Is that corruption of the inner man when we come to Christ. And when we come to him, he saves us. He begins, he saves us, and he begins to deliver us from the blindness of our own corruption, of our own hearts. Because we can be very blind to it. You look at the religious of Jesus' time. Oh, they thought that they were okay with God. But Jesus quoted from the, the book of Isaiah. When he referred to them, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
we can honor God with our lips and with our actions to some degree, you know, acting upon the commands of God to some degree. But God wants more than religion. He wants our hearts. He, does, he wants our hearts to be with Him. And to walk with Him, not just obedience, as we talked about last week, without the heart. When you look in the book of Revelation, Jesus sends seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I mentioned last week that <clears throat> Jesus sent a letter to the church at Ephesus. He talked about how that they were doing great in their doctrine and they were, they were doing a lot of good Christian things. He said, but you've left your first love. Left him. How can they be doing all that stuff but not but being far from him? Their heart was far from him. And there were several churches that were like that. The last one. A prosperous church. And he says, you're lukewarm. You're not hot or, hot or cold. And it's terrible to hear what he says about this church, but it was true. Until they stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens that door, I will come into him. Similar to what Jesus said, and we read last week in John 14, I will come into him. If any man loves me, he will keep my commandments, and I, me and my Father will come into him. Come into his heart. We give him our hearts. That's the decision we have to make. We may have been a, a Christian for a long time, but holding back in areas of our life. And we have our reasons that we have. We all do. Make reasons, excuses, or whatever. But as we examine ourselves, he's saying, surrender all. Surrender all of your heart. Because if we surrender all of our heart, then everything it's going to affect everything the right way on the outside of us. Jesus says, clean first up the inside of the cup, and behold, all things will be clean to you. In verse 21, You have heard that it was said of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Um, but they had a cause. Angry with his brother in his heart is how it's translated in some. <clears throat> without a cause. In verse um, 27, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust with her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so, God looks beyond our outward actions. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. God knows. He knows who we are in the inside. And he's talking about purity of heart. And we know that purity of heart, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. That purity of heart comes only one way. Through our coming to Him and being cleansed by Him through the blood of Jesus and continuing in Him, continuing and allow and, and continuing in Him. Jesus talked about if you continue in my word. You are my disciples indeed, or for real. In Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus invites, we, we talk often about when Jesus has come to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened or laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek or gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus talked about who he was. He was humble, meek, and lowly in heart. Not proud and arrogant but meek and lowly in heart. And that's the change that God is at work in our inside of us. To make us meek and lowly in heart. To be like Jesus. To follow in His steps. Meek and lowly in heart. You see the life of Jesus. You see the life of prayer and sacrifice and giving of Himself. The change in heart. To that person and to live differently from the inside out and you see it's a lot more than outward religion or putting on a show of Christianity of doing Christian works Christian actions in the book of Proverbs it says even a child is known by what he does there's a trail. Every tree is known by its fruit, Jesus said. But that trail is known by God. We might, just, we might be able to fool people, but God is not fooled. Even a child is known by what he's done what he's doing by God. God says back in Deuteronomy 6, if you go further in that, it says, and these commands that I give you this day for these, for these 40 years, I tested you, he said in the wilderness, to know what was in your heart, whether you obey me or not. Obeying God from the outside Putting on a show of religion or obeying God from the heart, from the inner man. 
And that's something, I'm saying this stuff, but it's not my word. This is what God has been saying throughout the, the Word of God. This action from the heart. Seeking God in the heart. This, this is stuff that we're reading from, the, I'm reading this out of the whole God's Word. But it's something that we have to contend with in our hearts, to wrestle with. Each of us has to wrestle with in our hearts this uncomfortableness. We feel, sometimes we feel like this, this churning going on inside of us, this inner, inner storm, this inner disturbance. That's the wrestling in our heart from the things that we've heard from the Word of God, from the time we were a child all the way up, right and wrong, good and evil. In the heart, it's going on. How do we find peace? Well, what we've been talking about all along. How do we become pure in heart? Through Christ. Through the blood of Christ. To be released from fear and anxiety of heart. To have peace in the inner man. Through the blood of Jesus. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When we surrender to it, when we give him our hearts, it becomes a labor of love, not a burdensome stone in our hearts. When we surrender all. We sang it this morning, I surrender all. And we ask ourselves this question, have I surrender all? Are those areas of my life? Be honest with God and bring them to Him and surrender them to Him. I don't know how I can you know, stop doing this or that. It starts with surrendering in our hearts. That's where it starts. In the inner man. And then it filters out to the outer man. Be, cleanse first the inside and behold, all things will become clean. That's how we become like Christ. By surrendering all in the inner man. To make us squirm to, to, to reason with these things, but this uneasiness is necessary. So when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, you know, many people say, oh, I don't, you know, all these rules and regulations in the Bible, I don't like all that stuff. If we come to Jesus and are changed in the inner man, it's no longer a lot of do's and don'ts. But it's a labor of love. In the book of Romans we talk often about where it says that the love of Jesus has been shed abroad in our hearts that the Spirit has given us. A love for Him, a love for His commands, a love for His way of life, and a love for our neighbor, and a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's shed abroad in our It's abundantly lavish and shed abroad in our hearts. And by with it we cry, Abba, Father, in our hearts. It's a revolution in our inner man. It's a revolution on the inside. And it's deliverance on the inside. Some people 
They have an experience where they, quote, come to Jesus, but they don't understand what that's all about. When we come to him, as he's saying here, he says, put my yoke upon you and learn from me. The Lordship of Jesus, we put it upon him. We surrender to him. He's our Lord. We're no longer our Lord. He's our Lord. And we surrender it in all areas of our life. And sometimes, as we go along, we, we surrender all to him. And we say, you know what? God's showing me something here today. I've been a Christian for 40 some years, and today God's showing me I haven't surrendered this area of my life. And that area, I thought I surrendered all. As we walk along, God begins to show us new areas. <laughs> and if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, God will begin to show us areas we're resisting Him, that we're not open, that as even though God's God sees all and our heart is an open book before Him, there's some areas we're trying to close and keep hidden, or try to hold on to, you know, put that that death grip on those certain things and not, you know, the fingers aren't willing to let go of them things. And I don't know who called out I surrender all this morning, but that kind of that kind of is um, where this is at today. Because that's the question we have to confront ourselves with every day my surrendering all god will show us things as we come to him lord am i surrendering all we might already know some of those things and we're just being stubborn about them and, and resistant to the spirit of god we see that the children of israel were stiff-necked and they resisted the spirit of god stephen when he was on trial he rebuked those who had him on trial and said, You st stubborn and stiff-necked. You always do resist the will of God. And we can be doing that ourselves. Not in condemnation we say this today, but we want to be open and clear. Because none of us, me and you, are not immune to this stubbornness. Because it's part of human nature. It's, it's in us all, this, this desire to be resistant to the will of God, our natural self. And our flesh is certainly resistant to the will of God. The Bible says our flesh doesn't understand the things of God. Our human nature, our bodies, they don't care about the things of God. <coughs> things of men. Things that please us and our flesh and our bodies and our human nature and our human reasoning. They're contrary to one another. Jesus talked about, in one of his parables, about forgiving people from the heart. That's another thing. People have wronged us. And people, many times, will go to the grave with a grudge and resistance to forgiveness from the heart. 
They might even say they forgive them on the outside. But boy, we can think of people that wronged us, and boy, it can make us uncomfortable, even though we say, I forgave them, but then there's this uncomfortableness on the inside. Acts chapter 15, the council in Jerusalem of all the disciples, when the decision is being made about whether non-Jews should keep the law, we read in Acts 15, beginning in verse 7, It says, and there was much, after much dispute, I'm sorry, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brothers, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Purifying the heart by faith. And that's what we've been talking about all along. This walk of faith, living by faith in the gospel message. And when we believe this message, there is a purification of the heart. And then we're told to walk in to walk in the, in the new man and put away the old man. <clears throat> that we purify our hearts by faith and to go and to walk in that purity of heart that God has given us. That's how we receive purity of heart. And to continue in that heart that God has given us. In Acts chapter 16, it says, God opened Lydia's heart to take heed to the things that Paul preached. The act of God to open somebody's heart so that they can believe. God at work in the hearts of men to bring them to the place of faith. So, The last one I want to read is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. This is with the woman at the well. Chapter 4 and verse 20. The woman says to Jesus, Our fathers worship on this mountain. That's in Samaria. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Which is according to the Old Testament law. 
And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And in the Old Testament, they, they were told to go to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices of worship to God. <clears throat> and this discussion with this woman of Samaria, and Jesus showed at the opening of the New Covenant <laughs> that he says that it's not in a place that you go to to worship God, but it's in the heart. He says that true worshipers of God will worship the Father in spirit. In the inner man, and in truth. Do we worship God? Rejoice in our spirit and worship God? The Apostle Paul says, I want men everywhere lifting up holy hands. Worshiping God, coming to the Lord in worship. You know, we get, oh, we're singing songs, we're worshiping God, we're singing hymns, and you know, we're singing songs, and but is it just singing songs from the throat and from the mind, but is it, or is it coming from the heart? When we say, holy, 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 Lord, the God Almighty in our song, is it coming from the heart, or are we just singing a song? Now, we might feel like our feet are getting stepped on here, and, you know, it make us feel uncomfortable, but, but as I heard preachers way back when say, if our feet are getting stepped on, get them out of the aisle. If we're, if, if our, God desires us to worship us, Him from the heart. And He gives us the ability to do that. The Apostle Paul talked about praying in the Spirit, in the inner man. Is this just a lot of spiritual mumbo-jumbo? No, this is the Word of God. Not my opinion. This is what we're reading. But we take it to heart. Are we worshiping God? Jesus did. He, he was meek and lowly in heart. Son of God was worshiping the Father. Is that who we are? Are we worshiping God in spirit and in truth? In our inner man? Inner, inner man? We come to the Lord and worship Him. Mm. True worshipers worship the Father in the inner man and according to the truth. Not in some false religion, but in the truth. From the inner man, from the truth. There's people who worship God in the heart from a false religion. Very passionate. very deceived 
We must worship God from the inner man, from the spirit, and from the truth, from our hearts. <clears throat> from the truth. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him from the inner man, from the heart, and in truth, according to the Word of God. Come to the Father through Jesus, His Son. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Coming to the Father through Jesus, faith in Jesus, the only way. No man comes to the Father except through me. We can't worship the Father except through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. I, I think it's important for each of us to believe, to come to Him, to come to God, to seek Him from our hearts, to pray to Him from our hearts, to examine our hearts, to worship Him from our hearts. In truth. Again, this is the Word of God, not anybody's opinion, not mine or anybody else's. In Ephesians, it says that we, we should be singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Making worship from the heart. Doing the will of God from the heart is also in Ephesians. Sanctify the Lord always in your heart. Separate God. In one version, it says separating Jesus as the Lord in your heart. Jesus being the Lord of our hearts. Bringing every thought captive to obeying Christ. Jesus being the Lord of our hearts. For Him to be the Lord of our hearts, we have to surrender our hearts to Him. And sometimes when we're confronted with right and wrong, and we're being tempted to say, Lord, I'm just surrendering my heart to you in all this. I surrender all. I'm done, Dave, if you want to comment on that. Dan, everybody, <clears throat> brothers. It's funny because I've um, been the last two days just meditating on a few things, and Sam and I have had a couple of conversations about how. And this very thing, in essence, is, you know, just having an awareness of our need to be right with God first. You know, that we get lost in circumstances. We start thinking about our lives and trying to, you know, plan and to, you know, aspire. And yes, we have some, some awareness of, you know, God in that. But... It's not good enough to be just uh, ha allowing God access to, you know, this overall scheme of our life. It's about going before Him and 
and as I, I, I read this, I mean, I said this in my prayer, but this is where I was this morning in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the brook, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then he says something that's odd. He says, when shall I come and appear before God? I, you know, I'm sure, again, there's multiple applications or interpretations, but the one that I felt the Lord gave me this morning is, you know, He created us to, to, to be fulfilled by Him and Him alone. And we can be so busy dealing with what's happening in our lives, all the dis- all the trials, the discouragements, people who are coming against us, people who are enemies, the, the enemy, the evil one, just having all of these meditations of the mind, and yet we don't go before God, yet we don't go and pant for Him first, like a deer for the water who's just run for 40 miles, you know, and has this incredible need to get to that water. You know, we allow ourselves to be driven and tossed and about so often. And that's why the psalmist wrote, When shall I come and appear before God? He was asking himself, I, if you read this psalm, it's about how his enemies are coming against him and everything. And then at the end he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. You know, and if we start with that, and Tam said something yesterday and it just struck me, and it's a verse we all know, but but the double-minded man or woman is unstable in all their ways. She said, reminded me, she said, God didn't say in some of their ways. He said in all of their ways. And that's an incredibly deep and uncomfortable thing to meditate about ourselves like you mentioned you know if we meditate on that and we realize that the only answer is seeking God's highest ever in at every turn that is what's going to strengthen us and make us sound and stable and anchored but if we only go to God in our trials but yet we make our own decisions for what's best for us or even the meditations of, in uh, ruminations of our mind over things that are in the past or people that hurt us or all that, and we don't release that and just come before God clean every moment of, that we can possibly do that, we're, we're hurting ourselves. We're making ourselves unstable. We're making ourselves unsteady and unable to make sound decisions as we're moving forward. It's, it's in the seeking God and panting for His best decision in every moment, sifting our minds through Christ every moment, that is what brings freedom. It, it, and I'm big on this one. I need to be released from anxieties. That's what does it. It's putting our hope in Him in every moment and not being double-minded. Saying like the psalmist just said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. You know, go to Him. 
Stop ruminating and thinking too much. You know, free free yourself. Forgive if that's what you need to do and go right back to him and be filled with all that he has for you because that's what brings joy, peace, mm-hmm. and, and life. As the deer pants for water, um, that means the deer is thirsty. <laughs> Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, as we talked about earlier. And when we're, when we're hungry and thirsting, on, in, the, in, the, in the inside of us, uh, Jesus said uh, that uh, come to him and we'll be filled. morning we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. In Hebrews uh, 12, before we go there, I remember this morning, after after the Israelites came back to Judah from being in Babylon for 70 years, and they came back to Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the wall and rebuilt Jerusalem and so forth. It says, Ezra the priest opened the book of the law, and it says that all the people that were there, the crowd of people there, they all stood up. And they stood up the whole time that he was reading, and they wept as they, they heard what he was reading. Tremendous uh, passion and um, tremendous conviction upon them about the Word of God. In Hebrews 11, it talks about men and women of faith. It talks about how Moses refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose instead to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, for a time. In chapter 12, we begin in verse 1, Therefore, of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance, or patience, the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Excuse me. The writer of Hebrews here talks about the cloud of witnesses we're surrounded by. Who in the world is he talking about? If you look at it, it starts out, verse 1, saying, therefore, which connects it to the chapter before that. 
He's talking about all the witnesses from our past, past church history, past history of the Old Testament, men and women of God from Genesis forward. We're surrounded by a witness in the Word of God of people who went before us and served God and refused to enjoy the pleasure of sin, but instead suffered affliction with the people of God. And they ran with patience the race, or in endurance, the race that was set before them. And, that, and for us, we are called to look unto Jesus. When it says look unto Jesus, it means look unto his life. Everything that happened in his life, things that he taught, things that he said, what he endured from sinners against himself. Look at how he walked. Look unto Jesus. He is the one, the pattern that's set before us. Peter says that we, he gave us a pattern that we should walk in his footsteps. And he says, consider how what he suffered, sinners against him. Lest we become discouraged. When sinners, when people sin against us. And have hostility towards us. He endured his cross. And he calls us to endure ours. We go from there to verse 14. The meat, the meat of what we that happens between what we just read and what until we get to 14 is about God disciplining us. And then he says in verse 14, pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane or godless person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, so he sought it carefully with tears. The heavy-duty warnings of the book of Hebrews. They are not written to those of the Old Covenant, those under the law. This is written to the New Testament Christian. The book of Hebrews goes into great detail speaking of New Testament Christianity. In the middle of it, there's these warnings. Not to be like Esau, a godless, immoral man like Esau. Fornicator, sexually immoral. Or godless like Esau. Esau traded in his birthright. His right that was given to him. For temporary gratification. His body wanted food. He traded in his birthright for it. The fact of the matter is, as you follow the story of Esau. He didn't really take to heart what he did. Because later he still wanted the birthright. He he expected it. And he was angry when his brother swiped it from him. But as we see, it was ordained by God. 
and by his mother too, of course, but Rachel, but no, <coughs> Isaac and Rebecca, I'm sorry, Rebecca, not Rachel, Rebecca, mm -hmm. we are warned not to trade in the right that God gives us to eternal life for temporary gratification. This is what the message is here from the book of Hebrews. As many as believe in Him, to them does He give the right to become the children of God. We have certain rights and privileges that are given to us who have faith in Christ. And the message here is don't trade that in for temporary gratification. For You know, the book of Galatians says, we have been called to liberty. Just don't use your liberty to serve the flesh, human nature. That's a tremendous warning. Because afterwards, when he wanted his birthright, it was too late. Judgment had come against him. And though he sought it carefully with tears, Bible says on the day of judgment there'll be weeping and grinding of teeth. This is a message about fearing God and fearing the things that He said in His Word. To not take take for granted the grace of God. To not be careless, not to walk carelessly. The Bible says not to walk in a way that's lazy and sluggish. But to be sober and watchful. Be on guard. And we know from reading His Word that this is the leading of the Holy Spirit because it's in His Word. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. He sought it diligently with tears, but for Him it was too late. And it goes on, we read on in, from verse 18, it says, For you have not come to the mountain that may not be touched with, <clears throat> and that burned with fire, and to the blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it beg that the word should not be spoken to them any more, For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned or shot through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. He said, we haven't come to that. And people were afraid of that. All about the time of Moses. The children of Israel were, were scared at the voice of, of God and the trumpets. The one thing we want to remember all this is that even though we're in a new covenant, God hasn't changed. We have a new covenant, but God is still God. And that's what he's bringing forth here. God hasn't changed. He's made a new covenant with the people of God. But he himself has not changed as we continue to read this in the New Testament, not the Old. He says, but you have, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, 
to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is what we've come to. We've come to the God of the new covenant. But listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks for speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks in heaven. His voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that, can, that things which cannot be shaken may remain. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, by which we may serve God acceptably, acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. He's still a consuming fire. He hasn't changed. He said, let us serve God acceptably, with reverence, reverencing God, and with holy fear. Godly fear. It's a call to sobriety, a call to holiness, a call to fear of the Lord, a call of understanding that God says He means and we should take it seriously and reverence it. Reverence Him, reverence His Word. In the Old Testament, it says, God says, I I honor my word above all my name. God reverences his word that he's given. And he calls us to reverence it too. And to act accordingly. Let us serve God acceptably. Acceptable to who? Acceptable to us? No. Acceptable to him. We talked last week about worshiping God in spirit and according to the truth. Serving God in a way that's acceptable to Him. Yeah, sometimes, a lot of times, many times, most of the times maybe, it goes against our comfort zone, against our human nature, against all that we like in our own self, and our own will. And that's why it says those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its affections, its affections, its things that it likes, and its desires, its lusts. Put them then to death, so we can serve God acceptably, with reverence, with respect, and with godly fear, and holy fear. God was a consuming fire in the book of Exodus, and all the way through, and you read in the book of Revelation, from Genesis to Revelations, God is a consuming fire. We read in the book of Revelation that fire comes down from heaven and destroys those who are gathered against him. 
We read in the Old Testament that the prophet Elijah calls fire down from heaven to destroy those who are against the Lord and against His will. We're trying to arrest Elijah. God is a consuming fire. It's not what he wants to do. And that's why he's taking his time. He's giving, this is a period of grace, a time of grace to get right with him, to accept his terms, to embrace his forgiveness, embrace the truth concerning the blood of Jesus, that he died for our sins and he wants to have a relationship and that he loves us. This is the message. But it's according to his terms, not ours. And he offers this great covenant to us of peace and mercy and love and forgiveness. But he's still a consuming fire. He's a spirit and a consuming fire. And not to be taken lightly. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one shall see the Lord. So, <clears throat> we go from there back to Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir us up for love and good works, or to provoke one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some but encouraging one another daily and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has, has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy at the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose when we be thought worthy is trampled the Son of God underfoot? Can the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified as a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
He's not talking to the Old Testament Jews. It is very clear he's speaking to the New Testament Christian. He talks about Jesus, the mediator of the New Covenant. Us who have the mediator, a, a new and living way. Jesus, the mediator of the New Covenant. And he says to encourage each other. As we gather together, encourage one another. To gather together and to stir one another to love and good works. And even more so as we see that day approaching. And we do see that day approaching. And he says, he warns against sinning willfully. He says, in the Old Testament, he says, anyone who rejected Moses' law died at the testimony of one of two or three witnesses. And that's the law. It's the Old Testament. Look how severe that punishment is. And he says something very strong here. He says, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who's trampling the Son of God underfoot? Those who continue in sin. Those who sin willfully. He says, verse 26, if we sin willfully, this is who he's addressing. He says that you're trampling the Son of God underfoot counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified as a common thing. These are people who are sanctified by the blood of the covenant. That's what it says here. And insulted the spirit of grace. God will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire. This is from the New Testament. It shows the severity of the Old Testament. And it warns the severity of those who trample the Son of God underfoot by continuing in sin. Romans chapter 6 says, so shall we continue in sin? God forbid. God forbid. <clears throat> How will we who have been freed from sin live any longer in it? <clears throat> the next one is in chapter 6 of Hebrews. Kind of back and going backwards. Hebrews 6. Beginning in verse 4. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected, and near being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Again, 
serious, serious warning about not respecting, not walking in the Spirit, not walking with the Lord. And <clears throat> say, well, what's the difference between backslidden and the Lord bringing them back in this point here? Well, it's not clearly defined. But the Bible teaches us in the book of James, Brethren, if any among you errs from the truth and one brings him back, let him know that he uh, who turns a sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So, we have hope. But it's a warning to us who are in Christ that are hearing the word to take heed and to respect the word of God and to not think because we're under the covenant of grace that it's a license to sin, to walk in the flesh, to walk in an unloving spirit, to be ungodly, to be harsh, to do things that Jesus told us not to do, the apostles warn us about, to live in the flesh, so to speak. That's what the warning is in all this. The works of the flesh are these, that those who live like this shall not inherit the kingdom of God. No matter what you profess, no matter what you think you are. John the Baptist preaching, when he was preparing them for the Christ, he said, don't say you're the children of Abraham. He said, don't just, because God is able to draw from these rocks children of Abraham. He says, but bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Verse 9. But brothers, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish or lazy, but imitate those through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. We have to patiently endure. We have to persevere, he who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. <clears throat> I left out part of chapter 10, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 36. I was meant to read it after I read the first part of it. Hebrews 10.36 For you have a need of patience or endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. We just read that in chapter 6, didn't we? 
So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, speaking of Abraham. For you have the need of patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. The verse before that, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't give up. Jesus said we should pray and never lose heart, never give up. We must continue in the things that we heard. Jesus said, He who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. We must endure to the end of our life. We must continue in the things we have heard. We must persevere. Let us run the race with endurance. It's all over the book of Hebrews, isn't it? The long distance race. Apostle Paul said, I have run the race. Speaking of this life of faith that we're called to. Full assurance of faith. Fully persuaded in the word of God. And not being lazy and careless. Jesus warns at the time of his coming, he says, See to it that you're not overtaken and overindulgence. The cares of this life. And many things. He says, because to them, his coming will be like a trap, a snare. will take them unawares. Pray always. He may feel worthy to escape these things that are coming upon the earth and to stand before the Son of Man, to not be left behind. Pray always. Jesus said that. <clears throat> In Hebrews chapter 3, Verse 5, And Moses was indeed faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his house, over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of our the hope firm unto the end. We are his house if we endure to the end. Which means... We don't endure to the end. We are not his house. <clears throat> Verse 12. Beware, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but encourage one another daily, what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence firm or steadfast to the end. He says it again. He repeats what he said earlier in the chapter. If we have become partakers of Christ, if we endure to the end. <laughs> the deceitfulness of sin hardens our heart. And he talks about the responsibility of fellowship. There's a lot of Christians that don't 
see the need for fellowship. They don't see the need for assembling together, even though we just said not we just read about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. <clears throat> but yet it's ordained by God. They don't see the value in it. They don't see the responsibility to their brothers and sisters in it. <coughs> Encouraging one another daily. Today. Lest any of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. We have a responsibility in fellowship. And it's in the Word of God and it's all over the Word of God. Some people think fellowship is just listening to a sermon. I can watch that on TV, on satellite or whatever. I can watch a sermon on my phone. I can listen to it on my phone. And it's true. I'm not saying none of these things is any good. But that's not what fellowship is about. That's not what loving one another and encouraging one another is about. It's about being in each other's presence. It's about encouraging one another. It's about helping one another. It's about reaching out to one another. It's about warning one another. Correcting one another. It's about being part of one another's life. The body of Christ is a brotherhood. Not a filling station. There's much more to it. It is much deeper than that. It is a it is a brotherhood. It is a society. A holy society that we've been called to. Continue on. While it is said, Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they could not and would not enter his rest? But those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Disobedience and unbelief were at work together in these people. And judgment came against them. And this is this is a message to the New Testament Christian. The example once again. We read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We read it recently. And here we read it here. They they did not enter because they did not enter God's rest because they did not obey. Verse 18. Verse 19, they could not enter in because of unbelief. Faith is an action word. Faith acting with our works. It says in the book of James. It made our made their faith perfect. And so the opposite is also true. Un, this disobedience, rebellion, working with unbelief. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of Enninger's rest, let us fear. You say, let us pray. It says here, let us fear. And that's the name of this sermon today, Josiah, when you 
put this up. Let us fear. Since there is a promise for us of eternal life, of entering God's rest, let us fear. A promise of entering His rest in this life and in the life to come. Lest any of you seem to come short of it. Any of you who? Any of you who He's addressing? Made it clear it's holy brethren. Verse chapter three and verse one. Holy brethren. Church. He's addressing the church. Verse twelve says, Beware brothers, the church. He says, Let us fear. Lest any of you seem to come short of it. The church. Verse 2, for in the, indeed the gospel was preached to us, the church, as well to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being with mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed enter that rest. We enter God's rest through faith. The book of Galatians says God, God dwells in our, that Jesus dwells in our hearts through faith. God lives in our hearts through faith. We enter God's rest. Through believing his word. <coughs> Verse 9 of chapter 4. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who enters God, his rest, God's rest, has himself ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Does anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience? We enter God's rest through faith. It says, we who believe do enter that rest. Verse 9, there's a rest for the people of God. When we enter that rest, we cease from our own works. Doing things in our own strength. Walking in the flesh. Trying to serve God in the flesh. We walk in the Spirit by faith, and we enter God's rest. Be diligent, brothers, to enter that rest. We enter that, that rest through faith, diligently, and not fall into the same example of disobedience. Faith and obedience... Is emphasized in the gospel in the book of James. Here talks about faith and obedience and unbelief and disobedience. We enter God's rest through faith. It leads us to submission. Otherwise, it leads unbelief leads us to rebellion. Romans chapter 11.
here. Romans 11. I don't have time to read the whole chapter, of course. But it's talking about the Israelites again here. Amazing how much the apostles referred to the rebellion of the Israelites. And always using it as an example and a warning and admonition and a correction to us. Amazing. And he talks about, in verse 17, And if some of the branches were broken off, referring to the, the Israelites who fell because of their rebellion and the rejection of Christ, he said, And you, being a wild olive tree, a Gentile, were grafted in among them, and with them become a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches are broken off, that I may be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they are broken off. Israelites that were rejected. They were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, or some versions say, do not be high-minded, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. He's saying the judgment that happened to the Old Testament Jews and the Jews who rejected Jesus during his lifetime, they were broken off. He said, and we stand by faith. He said, don't, don't get proud and haughty about it. He says, but fear. He says, do not be haughty, but fear. Let us fear. Saying the same thing it says in Hebrews. To walk in the fear of God. Let us fear. Not be afraid of God beating us from behind with a baseball bat. Let us walk with God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. Godly fear. Godly fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Consider both the goodness and the severity of God. Consider the love of God the grace of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, all the things we see in Jesus, and consider the severity of God. His fiery indignation to his adversaries. We see in the Old Testament, we see it in the book of Revelation. We see God strike Herod. He was eaten with worms and he died. An angel struck him and he died. The severity of God's judgment. God is a consuming fire. Consider the goodness and the consuming fire, the fiery judgment of God, the fiery indignation of God. That hasn't changed. The new covenant is a covenant of grace and mercy. But to those who fall short of the grace of God, To use the grace of God as a license to indulge in the flesh, the severity will fall on them too. We must continue in His goodness 
As it says here, we must continue in the grace of God, it says in one place. Walk in the Spirit. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its affections and its desires. Let us continue in the grace of God. Let us fear. Verse 23, And they also, the Jews, if they do not continue unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able God is able to receive Jews back who, who are in unbelief, who come to believe the gospel. And we've come to know some of them over the course of years. Israel, people who are descendants of, of the Israelites in our time, who come to believe the gospel of Jesus. And God receives them back into the covenant, the new covenant. And the last one is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Continuing on that theme. Beginning in verse 1. And in the meantime, <clears throat> when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark, will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the, inner, in the ear and the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the hot housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Fear of God. Beginning of wisdom. Things that are done in secret will be shouted on the housetops. Walking in the fear of God. Let us fear it does not mean when others are around. God is present with us and in us at all times. Let us not be hypocritical, he says. The poison of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, hypocrisy. They professed they knew God. But when God the Son came, they killed him. They murdered him. Premeditated murder. The deceitfulness of sin hardened their hearts. Jesus wrote on the ground, and they were going to stone the woman who had sinned, committed adultery. They caught her in the act. They were going to drag her out. Let's, what, is, what should we do? The law says we should stone her to death. And Jesus said, yeah, it does. And then he began to expose their hypocrisy and said, start talking to him. Whatever you do without sin, throw the first stone. They all walked out and left her alone. The leaven 
of hypocrisy. Our walk should be real. Walking in the fear of God in the dark room as well as in the light when everybody's around. Remind, reminding of the presence of God and the grace of God toward us. God is gracious and merciful and loving. The goodness of God, the grace of God, the severity of God, that God is a consuming fire. And with fiery indignation, He will punish all His adversaries. He says we must continue and endure in the grace that He's given us. Hold our confidence of our hope firm and firm to the end. And do not allow ourselves to be have our hearts hardened through the deceitfulness of walking in the flesh, the deceitfulness of sin, the blinder. A message of sobriety in the book of Hebrews, from the letter of Paul, the warnings of Peter, the writing. In the Gospel of Luke from Jesus himself. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Over to you.